That's one of my favorite movies. If you've not seen it, what about Bob? Lots of great laughs in that show. And, you know, I wanted to show that today because that's a great example of exactly what I want to talk about today. Really? Yeah, it's a great example of faith. Actually, it's a great example of a lack of faith. That's what we're seeing there is a lack of faith. And I want to talk today about how we could move from a place where we give the impression of a lack of faith to we move to the place where we can actually give the impression that we have faith. I want to wake our faith up today in a way that allows us to live the kind of life that God called us to live. See, when you look at... Um, Bob there, when you look at Bob and how he's living his life, he's trying to convince himself and he's trying to convince everybody else that he's sailing when he's not, right? He's trying to convince them he's sailing, but we all know he's not sailing. And what I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how that relates to faith as I was thinking this. I was thinking that that's similar to some of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ. We give verbal assent to following Christ, we say that, you know, we may, if someone really presses us, we may say, oh, I'm a Christian, kind of like that kind of thing. We give some kind of verbal assent. We show that we want to come to know him because we come to a place like this where they actually talk about Jesus Christ. We may even go as far as to read our Bible. Those kinds of things that would show that we know and we follow Christ. But in certain areas of our lives, we just don't match up with what we say. Our actions don't match up with the words we say, kind of like Bob there. He said he's sailing, but he wasn't sailing, right? He was a captive at that point. <laughs> or sometimes when we say we have faith, we may say we have faith, but when we're pressed, when we're pressed by someone who would want us to talk about our faith or where there's an opportunity where we can see it's just really open for us to be able to enter into a conversation and bring God into the subject or bring God into this situation— a lot of us, we shy away from those, and what we end up doing is we say what's mostly politically correct, or we say what others might want to hear instead of actually voicing the fact that God has something to say into this situation. See, folks, we really don't live lives of complete faith. What God asks us to do is He says, I want you to live a life where you're 100% sold out to me. You see, folks, faith should not just, should make more of a difference than just you coming to a church on a Sunday, especially on Time Change Sunday. That's pretty good, obviously, that you've got that less hour, one hour less of sleep. But it should be more than that, more than just you establishing, you know, adopting religious paradigms or outward expressions. It has to be much more than that. Faith in Jesus is intended, it's intended to be something that we don't just make a part of our life. In other words, I segment my life. I say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to know him. I'm going to give a segment of my life to him. But all the other segments don't have to relate. He doesn't want us to give us just part of our lives. He wants us to give, he wants us to give him all of our lives, everything we are. And I want to wake us up to that today. What God's calling us to do is give us 100% of who we are. Now, here's what I know to be true. Here's what I know to be true. What I know to be true is that it's becoming increasingly rare in our culture, in our world today, for those who say they are followers of Jesus Christ to actually live way, in a way that's markedly different than those who say they don't follow Jesus Christ. Honestly, if you do surveys, those who say they follow Jesus Christ, 
They say that, you know, you look at the surveys and compare about values, about morals, about what's right, about what's wrong, about how do I love people, about how do I live. There's very little difference between those who say they follow Jesus Christ and those who don't know Jesus Christ. And what that says to me, what that says is that we have adopted a faith. We've adopted a religious system, the Christian faith. We've joined a club. And we're going to the Christian Faith Club today, and we're going down, but we're not allowing it to change who we are. We've just joined an organization, and we've not allowed our faith to change us. And I just need you to know right up front, that's not what God expects. That's not what He expects. He expects our faith to transform us and to change us so that when we follow Him, those who follow Him are distinctly different from everyone who doesn't follow him. There's a distinct difference in those who say they follow him and from everyone else, a distinct difference. Folks, I just say it this way. We can't do that without faith. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ without faith. You can be a follower of Jesus and not be able to sing. I can attest to that, okay? (laughs) Not be able to sing. You can be a follower of Jesus and not know how to lead a community group. You can be a follower of Jesus and not know how to teach. But you cannot be a follower of Jesus without faith. And I just want to wake us up to that fact today. Wake us up to the fact that when we said yes to Jesus, we didn't just join an organization. We became part of his purpose and his cause in the world. And he wants us to live by faith. And yet, by like many of us, we're living like Bob and that we've adopted a system, or we say we're doing something, when in actuality, if you really look at it, we're not doing what we say we're doing. We're pretending or posing, actually, to be in the Christian faith or following Christ, when in reality, we're not doing what we say. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, faith is a living, flaming thing leading to surrender and obedience to the commandments of Christ. And he goes on to say, but faith in our day often means no more than a meek assent to a doctrine. Just a meek assent to a doctrine. So I just want to ask today, is that your faith? Is that my faith? Is it just a doctrine? A weak assent to a system? Or is it complete surrender? Is it flaming, as he said? Is it alive? Is it living? And is it going to make me markedly different, distinguishable from everyone who doesn't follow him? That's what he asks us to do, and that's what he, how he asks us to live. Faith in God really means surrender to him. That's what it means. It means surrender to him. Now, when we're going to look at faith, obviously one of the main Places in the Bible that you go to about faith is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 begins in verse 1 with a definition of faith. So if you haven't taken your message notes out, go ahead and get them out. They look like this. You can grab them uh, out of your program. You can take some notes today. All the Bible verses that we're going to use will be right here today to help you out in that way. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and in verse 6 talks about faith. The whole chapter is about faith, but here's two verses actually defining faith. It says this, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe 
that he exists. This is key. We're going to look at this in a little bit. Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or sincerely seek him. So as I'm reading that definition of faith, I thought, okay, how do I define faith? How, what would be a way to define faith that I could you know, share with you today that we could relate to, that I think we could take from here today, and that we could build this whole idea of waking up to faith on? And so here it is. You can write this down. Faith is taking God at his word. Simple as that. Faith is taking God at his word. Taking God at his word. So what I want to do today If faith is taking God at his word, I want to look today at how you and I can, by faith, listen to what God says. So if it's taking God at his word, then the first idea is this. If I'm going to take God at his word, I need to know what he says. That's the first idea. If I take God at his word, I need to know what he says. So faith requires knowledge about God and what God says about himself. What God says and what God says about himself. Before I can begin the life of biblical faith, I just need to know what God says. Now, you're going to say, Ron, you are so cotton-picking redundant. And I can be. I know I can be. But if, if you want to know what God says, you've got to read what God wrote. Okay? You've got to read his word. You've got to spend some time pouring over the pages of this book so that you can actually hear what God says. Now, here's the key. Hear what God says about himself and about you and about life. So you want to hear what God says. Look at what it says in Romans 10. It says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ or the word of God or from his word. That's why we encourage you every year. We ask you to do this. We ask you to engage. And, you know, some of us are good about this and some of us struggle with this. I'm a good struggler, okay? I work on and off of this. We ask you to read the Bible daily, every day, every year. Just read it daily. So we give you a reading plan. Say, hey, if you read this reading plan, you could actually read the entire Bible in a year if you read daily. But I know that's pretty overwhelming for some people. So we just kind of like to say, make sure, here's our daily Bible reading challenge, that you read some Bible daily. You read some Bible daily. Now, is this so that you can get a brownie point? Is this so that I'll like you more? Don't, don't even go there. Is this so that you can fit into the religious system of Twin Cities Church? No. It's so that your faith can grow, so that you can establish faith and that you can know what God says. Now, here's the really cool thing is you think, okay, Ron, I picked up the Bible one day, and I read it, and I couldn't understand a cotton-picking word in there. I didn't know what God was saying. Now, I want to encourage you with this. Here's what I want to encourage you with, is that when you pick up the Bible and you read it, first you ask God to tell you something. You ask God to speak to you. You ask God to be there with you, and then you listen for what he says. Now, this week, if you're reading our daily Bible reading plan, it'll take you through the Bible in a year, we're reading through the book of Deuteronomy this past week. I was so glad when we got through with Leviticus. How about you? <laughs> Woo! But Deuteronomy is an awesome, awesome. I'm getting stuff out of Deuteronomy I never even knew was in Deuteronomy before right now. It's just so inspiring to me to read this. Well, I just thought I would help you this, you know, today by saying, on this day, we were reading Deuteronomy, and here's something from one verse that God told me about himself. One verse. And I put it there in your notes. We read Deuteronomy 7, and there's verse 9 for you. Verse 9, and here's what it said. It said, understand that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations 
and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his command. So I'm going to leave that up there, and I'm going to just write down. I just want to kind of help. As we read that one verse, here's what God says about himself. First of all, he says this, understand that the, the Lord your God is indeed God. So first of all, what he's saying to you and he's saying to me is he says, first of all, you need to know I'm God. You just need to know, I'm God. You just need to know of all the other gods, of all the other choices, all the other possibilities, every other place that you could go to that you could look to for faith or you could look to for meaning or you could look for, for spirituality. You need to understand, I'm it. I'm God. Big G God, no little G gods. Big G God, I am it. And that's what he says. I'm God. So first of all, he wants you to know, he's God. Nobody else is God. He's God. That's the first thing he says. We got it? Okay, second thing he says is this. He says this, I am faithful. So he says, I am God, I'm the one who's God, but I am faithful and you can count on me. So I just wrote that as I was journaling. I said, oh God, thank you so much. You're faithful. Thank you so much that you keep your promises. Thank you so much for your covenant, your new covenant, Jesus Christ, and I can trust you and everything. And then it says this, it says he lavishes his love on us. It doesn't mean he just pours his love out. He doesn't mean he doles it out. He doesn't mean if I'm okay, he'll give me a little love wink. What it says here is that he lavishes it on me. He can't wait to give me all of his love and for me to know it. And that's just a really cool thing because we all need to know that God loves us. In fact, that's what we're looking at next week in depth. And then it says this, and he calls me to obedience. God expects me to obey. So that's another thing I learned about God there. He expects me to obey him. So when he says that this is what he wants me to do, he expects me to do it. See, that's all we learn from just one verse in the Bible about God, about who he is, about what he says, about what he wants us to know about him. And faith begins when I know what he says. I have to know what he says. I have to know what, not what somebody else says he says, not what someone wrote that God says not what I blogged that God said or read a blog, not when someone tweeted that God says, I need to know what God says myself. So I need to go to this book. I need to read it. And I know this is overwhelming. I encourage people that this is overwhelming to us. I read until God speaks. Stop. Write down what you felt God said and journal. Then say, what do you want me to do about it? It's not that simple. Read till you feel God speaks. Write down what you think God said, and then say, what do you want me to do about it? In Albert time, what you'll do is you'll have a journal full of what God says about himself to you. that You can go back to and you can use and help grow in your faith. So the first thing, if I'm going to wake up my faith, I need to know what God says. The second thing is this. It doesn't help just to know what he says. I have to believe what he says. I have to believe what he says. Now, there are a lot of folks who know what God says. A lot of folks know what God says. A lot of folks have great information. Why is there so much confusion out there? A lot of folks who know what God says, but they don't believe what he says. They know he says he's God, but they don't want to believe it, so they don't want to go there. They know what he says about himself, but they don't want to believe it, so they don't want to go there. But they, they have to, in order to have faith, I have to know what he says about himself, and I have to believe what he says about himself for my life. Look what it says in Ephesians 3. This is a prayer Paul was praying for those who say they have faith. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. So in other words, I pray that you will have knowledge. I pray that you will have wisdom. I pray that you will know, is what he's saying there. And then you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. And he says, I also pray that you will understand or you will take this knowledge about this incredible, incredible greatness of God and you will believe it. 
and you will believe it. I pray that you will believe it for yourself, that the faith won't be just the faith of the pastor or the faith of your mother or the faith of your father or the faith of your school teacher, but it'll be your faith, that you will believe it personally, and then you will choose to say, I know he's God, I believe he's God, and it's going to change my reality. Change my reality. Now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of put some flesh on this for you. And I wanted to, you know, give you kind of a tangible expression or understanding of someone who actually is what I'm talking about. I don't know if you've heard of Bethany Hamilton. Bethany Hamilton uh, was an up-and-coming surfer at 13 years of age. She was projected to become the next champion. And so she was a surfer. She lived in Hawaii, obviously. You got to, you know, live down there to be able to do a lot of surfing. So she lived in Hawaii. 13 years of age, she goes out on Halloween 2004 surfing with her friends. So she's on the water. She had just caught a wave. Afterwards, she was waiting for the next wave. She's floating on her board on the water. And out of nowhere, a shark popped out of the water and bit her left arm right off. Completely severed her left arm right at the shoulder, severed it right off. Well, just by God's grace, they were able to get her to shore, stop the bleeding, and Bethany was able to survive. She was able to survive this attack by a shark that altered her destiny and her direction for life. Now, here's the deal about Bethany. At about five or age five or six, somewhere around there, she had said yes to Jesus Christ. So she said yes to what she knew about God. She said yes to what she knew about Jesus. And she said yes to him. And then she had, over time, she had developed that faith. She knew more about God and she trusted God. And then she, when this accident happened, she was at a place where she could believe fully in what she knew about God, that she knew about him before it happens. It's just fascinating when you read her story, when you understand about her. Actually, a movie out called Soul Surfer, if you want to watch that. But I want to show you a clip that's not from that movie. And the clip is her talking several years later. She's reflecting back on the accident and how that impacted her and how her faith gave her strength. Let's watch this. just a, a passion and a desire just to surf and, and share his love through surfing and when I lost my arm I kind of like got nervous and fearful and just like not sure if this is what I was still going to be doing and when, uh, when most people see that I'm, I've continued surfing and doing what I love um, they're all just like why aren't you scared of sharks like why would you go back in the ocean and get back in there with those big sharks or whatever? And for me, it, it wasn't really necessarily fear of sharks because um, sharks are there and I'm willing to go in their territory to do, to do what I love. And um, But for me, it was like, am I even going to be able to stand up on the board and ride the wave? Like, And when I first started surfing again, I, I kind of struggled getting up on my first two waves. and. Um, but then I got up on my third wave and I just knew that um, God had something great in plan for me and in store for me. And I know that he gave me the ability to surf and do what I do. And to this day, I still struggle with one arm issues like in the ocean and on land. And 
I have to continue just giving it up to him and um, just know that he's in control. Second Timothy 1.7 For the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. This verse to me is just really powerful because I know that um, it just reminds me that God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind and that when we start to fear and not keep our eyes on the Lord um, is when it, we can almost become paralyzed in whatever we're doing. And, like in my life and in situations that I've been in, like learning how to surf with one arm, I was fearing that I wouldn't be able to do it. But as soon as um, I just gave it to the Lord and went out there and tried it, I could do it. And um, I think in whatever situation each of us are overcoming and dealing with, um, it's important just to give our fear to the Lord and know that He loves us and that He's going to help us overcome whatever we're dealing with. so cool. Oh man, you know what? She didn't ask for the notoriety she got there. Nobody asked to have their left arm taken off, have their career changed right in midstream. Daya just loved it. She said, I still deal with one-armed issues. And she still walks through this today. But here's what happened. When that accident happened, the foundation that had been laid allowed her to shine in a way that showed that she had a faith in God, a faith in Christ that was solid. And she stood out markedly different from everyone else at that point. And people would look at her, and she would have opportunity to go into schools, to high schools, to colleges, made a movie about her life, simply so that it could talk about her faith and how she overcame the fear that she had because she believed what God said. She believed what he said. But here's the deal. We can't just know what he says. We can't just believe what he says. In order for us to have the kind of faith that God wants, in order to wake our faith up, we need this third idea, and that is I must do what he says. I have to do what he says. I need to activate my faith. I need to do what I know that God has called me to do. In fact, look at this verse from James 2. James chapter 2, he says this, What good is it if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And the obvious answer that James is looking for is no, no, that can't. And he's saying that if you claim you believe something, if you claim you believe something, but your actions show that you don't believe it or that you believe something else, your actions are a more reliable gauge of your faith than what you say. I'm sailing! I'm sailing! I'm a Christian! Your actions are a more reliable determination of your faith than what you say. That's what James wants us to hear and what God wants us to know. So here's the deal. You want to write this down. Faith requires action. Faith requires action. I have to act on what I know that God has told me. 
I have to act on that. Your actions reveal what you know to be real. Your actions reveal it. They show it to you. It isn't just enough to know something or to believe something. Faith causes you to act on what you know. So if you, don't have a, if you don't have a faith in God that's not only transforming the way you think, but transforming the way you act, then your faith in God may not be the faith that God asks you to have. may not be the kind of faith he's looking for. So I'll just ask a question. I want to wrestle with this a little bit. Would the people in your world know what you believe by how you act? Would the people in your world know what you believe by how you act? Okay, how about the people at work? Would the people at work know what you believe by how you act consistently? We're going to have flub-ups, I know. But typically, overall, would they know what you believe by how you act, by how you respond, by your ethics, by you know, how you treat the time clock, how you treat you know, getting paid up the, over the table, under the table. Would the people at work know what you believe by how you act? How about the people at church? Would the people at church know what you believe by how you act? Now today, they might look around and say, well, I think I know what you believe. But if they were to see you on Wednesday night, would they say the same thing? If they saw you on Thursday morning, Saw you Saturday afternoon. Would they say the same thing? Would they know what you believe by how you act? How about the people at the gym? Would they know what you believe by how you act? Let's just get down to the best place to determine your faith. Would the people at home know what you believe by how you act? By what you watch, by what you say, by what you consume, by your gossip, by your lying, by your tone, by your anger, by your faith, by your love? Would they know what you believe by how you act? God says, you know it, you believe it, will cause you to act it in a positive, positive way. Now look what Paul says. He talks about this whole idea. He recognizes the same dynamic in Romans 1.5. He says this, Through Jesus, and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people, here's what he calls, he's what he's calling us to, to the obedience that comes from faith. So he's calling us to the obedience that comes from faith. First of all, you got to know, we get this all messed up when we simply call people to obedience. I said this a couple weeks ago. I said we cannot expect someone who hasn't placed their faith in Christ to act like someone who does. So if I'm going to call someone to obedience, first of all, I need to call them to the obedience that their faith would determine. But when they've said yes to Jesus Christ, what Paul's saying, you can expect them to be obedient to what God says. And if they're not, challenge them on it. If someone's living a life that they're doing things, if they're going out, don't be thinking, well, who am I to judge them? Or if they say, who are you to judge me? Say, well, you said you had faith. This isn't faith. I'm just being honest with you. Truthful, in love. Because we want your example to be different from those who don't have faith. We want people who have faith to be able to look, I mean, who don't have faith to look at you and say, that's what someone with faith would live like and do in life. And so it has to be acted out. So I wake up my faith, I have to know what he says, to believe what he says, I have to do what he says, and then third, I have to trust what he says. I have to trust his promises. To trust what he says to be true. I must trust God and I must trust his plan. Trust God and trust his plan. Faith is trusting God. See, folks, biblical faith is not positive thinking. 
And a lot of us get caught up in that whole idea and think, well, I just must not have enough faith because I'm not, you're not you're thinking positively enough. And so biblical, biblical thinking is not positive thinking. I'm all for positive thinking because you know what the alternative is, right? Negative thinking, yeah. So there we go. So, but I'm all for that. But biblical faith is not wishful thinking. Biblical faith is not magical thinking. That somehow if I have faith, it's all, all, everything's going to go my way just simply because I had my you know, lucky charm of faith in my pocket. It's not that. Biblical faith is confident assurance that God will do what he says. That he'll do what he says. Confident assurance that I can trust him. Now, I put these verses here from uh, Romans chapter 4 about Abraham. Unfortunately, I don't have time to cover all of them today in depth. But what I want to do is I want to highlight the first idea. This is Paul writing. Paul was a Jewish scholar, and he's reflecting on Abraham and Abraham's faith and how Abraham's faith is a testimony to us about what it's like to live faith. And this is what he says, just the first couple of verses. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. Brought glory to God. Remember we sang that song today that said, not to us, but to you, God, because we want to bring glory to you. But in this, because he lived differently, he brought glory to God. <clears throat> he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So you might just end like fully convinced, meaning he's going to trust God's promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Now I just want to kind of talk about this a little bit. Help us to understand this. Abraham was a man, as Abram, when he was first called by God. So I'm going to use Abraham just for our purposes today. In Genesis chapter 12, I believe, that God comes to Abraham and Abram and calls him to follow him. Now, here's what you got to know. This is really cool. Abraham and his family lived in a culture where everyone had multiple gods. So there were, it was a multi cultural, spiritual environment. And so you would have a God of fertility. You would have a God for your crops. You'd have a God for your children. You have a God for the sun, a God for the moon, a God for the rain, a God for everything that you could think of because you wanted to make sure that you were blessed by the God that represented what you wanted in life. So this is Abraham's environment. Abraham's environment. This is Abraham, by the way. Abraham. God comes to Abraham. And it says, Abraham, I'm the one true God. I'm the one true God. Abraham, I want you to give up everything else, and I want you to leave everything that you've built, leave your family, leave everything behind. I, people are going to ostracize you. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to question you. People are going to be mad at you, angry at you. They're going to be all kinds of things at you, say all kinds of things about you, but I want you to be different. Now I'm going to ask you to place your faith in the one and only true God and the one and only true God and leave all the other gods behind. And then as you live your life, you will be distinctly different and you will become the father of many nations and you will be the father of faith. This is so cool. He comes to him and just like he comes to you, he comes to us and he says, I'm coming to you. I'm the one and true God. I'm not the God of the culture. I'm not the God of the environment. I'm not the God of the other face. I'm the one and true God. I'm coming to you. I'm asking you to believe me, take me at my word and follow me. And when you do that, you're going to stand apart. When you do that, you're going to be different. When you do that, you'll be ostracized. But when you do that, you have an opportunity to become a person of faith that brings God glory by how you live life. 
Now here's what you know, I just understand about Abraham. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect, and yet he's said to be the father of faith. You got to know that Abraham messed up a couple of times, big time. If you read his story, twice he threw his wife under the bus, literally threw his wife under the bus. <laughs> two times, two times, two different times. He came up to a situation, it looked scary. He's looking at his wife, she's drop dead gorgeous. He looks at himself, this little skinny guy. She's like, this little skinny guy, what am I going to do against these folks who might want to take my wife? If they know she's my wife, they'll kill me and take her, but I'll just say she's my sister, and they'll just, they want, they'll want stuff from me because they want my sister, right? And so he says, this will be a good thing. Two different times he did that. Both times God kept it from getting where it needed to be by revealing to the fact that that she was really Abraham's wife. Then another time, God had said to Abraham, God, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham's getting really old, okay? Really, 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 really old. He's thinking, I don't know if I can be the father of many nations anymore. If something doesn't happen quick, either I'm, I'm too old or my wife's too old, one or the other. So he took matters in his own hands, had relations with his maid, his wife's maid, and had a baby. And we know that turned out terrible decision, a terrible decision that he did that. Terrible decision. And then God still gave him what he had promised. Now, here's the deal. We are going to mess up in the life of faith. You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. But God doesn't expect us to be perfect. What God expects is that we keep stepping on by faith, following the call he gave, I'm following and pursuing him. And even when I mess up, I trust in the promises he gives to mess ups. That there's enough grace and there's enough mercy and there's enough for me, enough love, and he's going to give me what I need. And when I come against circumstances, when waves are big, when sharks bite off my arm, when I have sickness, when I have illness, when I have relatives who die, parents who die, when I have people who are having cancer, when I have kids who go astray, when I have parents who go astray, when I have all these things that happen, financial difficulties happen, I can stand with confidence and firmly, not, knowing to have, not having to know the answers, but believing that by faith, by faith, what I'm going through won't change who God is. What I'm going through won't change what God says, but I can trust him for the journey. And as I live that life, I guarantee you, when you live that kind of life, people will look at you and say, you're different, and you get an opportunity to bring glory to him. And I want to wake us up to that kind of faith. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray today that we would know you. Help us to know the truth about you, not the cultural, mythical truth, but what the Bible says. Help us to learn the truth about you so we can know what you say. Father, I pray that you would help us to then believe what you say. Believe what you say about you, about Jesus Christ, about us, and about life. And then, God, as we believe what you say, help us to do what you say. Help our faith not just to be a, a mental awareness or an assent, but that we would truly do what we know you've asked us to do and respond. 
And God, I pray for every one of us in this room because we never know when that shark is going to bite. We never know when that wave is going to come. We never know when that difficulty is there. That because we've placed our faith in you, because we've chosen to believe you are who you say you are, because we've chosen to do what you've called us to do and be obedient to you, that even when life stinks, we trust you. We trust you. It's like the Hebrew slave said before they were thrown into the fire. We trust God, and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we've placed our faith in him. Help us to be that kind of people, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.